chapter, we're looking today at the um, parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Now, this is a very long passage. It's all of that. So who would like to read that? Yep, go ahead, Rachel. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought with. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, help us to hear this message of um, challenge from Jesus to give our all in order to gain the treasure of the kingdom. Amen. Okay. So I was watching TV, uh, the TV show Manifest, um, this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a sci-fi sh- style show about the passengers of Flight 828 traveling from Jamaica to the USA, which disappears mid-flight and then lands five years later with all the passengers um, who have experienced no intervening five years. Part of the show is about the passengers reintegrating into a world that thought that they were dead and has thus moved on. Part of the show is about the weird visions and prophecies that the passengers experience. And part is about the government conspiracy to, to exploit whatever happened. So it's got a lot going on. But the episode I was watching, uh, in the midst of all of this sort of stuff going on, one of the passengers starts a religion called the Church of the Returned. And in that episode, he was giving his version of the gospel, the good news. And here's what he said. I don't have the clip, unfortunately, so I'll just tell you. Miracles. All the world's religions have been based on apocryphal miracles. Resurrection, reincarnation, all rumours and myths that trace back millennia. Until Flight 828 returned. That 191 miracle returnees reappeared on Earth makes an undeniable case for miracles tomorrow. Believe in the miracle of Flight 828. Believe in the passengers who, after escaping death, will now walk among you for decades to come. Watching this, it struck me that this is what most people think Christianity is saying. A long time ago, there was a miracle resurrection of Jesus and you can experience a miracle or two as well so why not hang out with us hopeful people it'll make you nicer but is that what we're saying is that what Jesus came to do In the two short parables we're looking at today, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, Jesus described the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't often use the term the kingdom of heaven, mostly because only the gospel writer Matthew uses it. The more common term 
in the Bible is the kingdom of God. In his gospel, John actually talks about us being in Jesus or in the Father. And modern Christians often abbreviate it to the kingdom. Matthew himself demonstrates that the kingdom of heaven and of God have the same general meaning when he quotes Jesus uh, saying, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So kingdom of heaven equals kingdom of God, more or less. Now we'll come back to this passage, um, but first we need to think about what this kingdom of heaven actually is. So what do you think? What is the kingdom of heaven? Any ideas? Yeah. No pain, no suffering, and being with Jesus. Yep. It's a living kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's a kingdom that's alive. It's an eternal kingdom uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand. Um, so he's the king. Yep. Anyone else want to try defining the kingdom of heaven? Mm -hmm. so, so the kingdom of heaven is a bunch of people who have decided to be ruled by the king, in this case, Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. yep. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, um, you know, the kingdom of God is within you. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't actually define the kingdom of heaven. It gives plenty of descriptions, which is what Rose was giving, descriptions. Um, and the Bible does a lot of that but it doesn't give a definition. And I think the reason for that is simple. As Tim demonstrated, um, you can tell what the kingdom of heaven is just by parsing the phrase. The kingdom of God is a self-describing phrase. It simply means the domain or sphere of the sovereign rule of God. The kingdom of heaven is different from everything else, such as what the um, Apostle John calls the world, because in the kingdom, God's rule is recognized and enacted. So people recognize God as sovereign and they, and they obey him. So when Jesus talks about entering the kingdom, he's talking about coming into a relationship with the king, that is God, and willingly subjecting yourself to him. This is in contrast to our default relationship with God, which is one of unjustified rebellion. Now Matthew's emphasis on the kingdom of heaven rather than God reminds us that it's, it's heaven where God's rule is respected and obeyed. And when we enter the kingdom, we are entering in a very real way heaven. Now it might surprise you to find that Jesus mentions the church only twice both times in the Gospel of Matthew. But the kingdom of heaven or God, he mentions a total of 85 times. And he, John never uses that phrase. So that's in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and two mentions in Acts, at the beginning of Acts, when Jesus 
uh, is talking to the disciples. Now, the church is, of course, part of the kingdom, the part currently living in the world. And so we think about when we think about the kingdom here on earth, we're actually thinking about the church. But the church isn't all of the kingdom. So now that we know what the kingdom of heaven is, so we've got a definition for it, I have another question for you. How would you describe it to someone? So if you were talking to somebody and you wanted to explain this phrase to them, what it refers to, how would you describe it? As far as one aspect would be talking about how God takes people out of the kingdom of darkness mm-hmm. and brings them into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Mm-hmm. So you could talk about contrasting between both of those kingdoms. Yep. Yep. So describe a contrast, yep, which John does a lot even though he doesn't use the term kingdom. <clears throat> Any other ideas? Obviously, you could say the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found some treasure in a field. <laughs> or <laughs> I guess you could describe the process of becoming part of the kingdom, yep. entering it, yep. and uh, what it involves. And, yeah, yep. Yep. Yep, that's right. Yep. Any other ideas? I think I'd say like the state of God being in charge and people living for God. Mm. Yep. And that it's uh, it started, but it's not finished, and it comes to completion in heaven. Mm. It's actually very hard to describe the entire thing, right? It's easy to give aspects, as, as Neil said. And in this 13th chapter of Matthew, where our parables are, we find six parables describing the kingdom. And they're not the only six parables. There's just the six in this chapter. And they're in pairs. The parable of the wheat and the weeds starts the section and the parable of the net and the fish finishes it, and both of those parables explain how God sorts the wicked from the good on the final day. So that's one aspect. So it's about the judgment. The second pair describes how the kingdom grows, the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. And the third pair, which we're looking at, describes how we, sh- how we should relate to the kingdom, the parables of the hidden treasure and the Pearl of Great Price. Now, there are many other parables about the kingdom. In fact, many of the parables are about the kingdom in one way or another, um, and many other descriptions as well. So the problem we have in describing the kingdom of heaven is, is because it's beyond big. I'm trying to convey that in this diagram here. It's, it's, if you took the entire complex Um, world, this earth with its massive ecosystems and trillions of creatures and compared that to the kingdom of heaven it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the kingdom of heaven so every time we describe it uh, we can only describe a part, an aspect a perspective on it that's important to remember so I'm not going to give you the whole picture of the kingdom in in this brief sermon So, 
these parables are so well loved and known despite their brevity because they reveal a, a very important aspect of the kingdom, especially from our perspective, how we should react when we discover it. The first parable focuses on a hidden treasure. Some random guy stumbles across this treasure. What does he do? Well, first, he hides the treasure again so that it won't elude him. Now, some interpreters struggle with this. Was Jesus suggesting that we should keep the gospel secret? But of course, that makes no sense, right? The scenario in the parable represents the kingdom as hidden treasure, physical treasure, which can be stolen or lost. But we know that the kingdom or the gospel is, is not like that. You can't steal it or lose it. The question to ask is what the finder in the parable is trying to achieve by hiding the treasure. And the answer to that's not hard to figure out. In the next sentence, the finder is selling everything he owned in order to secure the field and the treasure in it. You see, on finding this unexpected treasure, all of this person's actions have one goal, to attain that treasure. The point of the parable is simple and powerful. Everything other than the treasure is immediately rendered irrelevant. One of my teachers in high school loved that word and we used to joke about it a lot, so I always think of that when, when I say that word. Irrelevant. Malcolm, irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> From the, Even the field in which he finds the treasure, which is what the finder actually buys, is just a means to an end. Now, in the second parable, it's, it's very similar. However, it focuses on the merchant. Unlike the lucky field buyer, the merchant is actively searching for fine pearls. So when he finds the perfect pearl, his response is simpler. He doesn't need extra steps to get the pearl, like buying the shop it's in or something. He just goes out, sells everything he owns, and buys that pearl. Including all the other pearls he's got. Well, yeah, exactly. All the other pearls that he's got have gone because they're not, they're not perfect. And the point of both parables is, is very straightforward. The kingdom of heaven is so precious that on finding it, we should immediately use everything that we have in order to gain it. And when we say use, we mean use up. In both parables, Jesus talks of selling everything in order to gain enough money to buy the treasure. Now, of course, we can't buy salvation, but we do need to let go of everything in order to enter the kingdom. Jesus told his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up, if you give up your whole life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
Is anything worth more than your soul? Now this sounds extreme, doesn't it? Why can't we just have it a bit both ways? Well, I think as is becoming increasingly apparent in our society, the life of Christ is simply incompatible with the life of the world. Jesus' beloved disciple John said in his uh, first letter that we have, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Every day this conflict of values grows greater and greater. We cannot love the things that the world desires and live for Jesus. You see, the big difference between the kingdom of heaven and the fictional church of the returned, which I talked about from Manifest, in other words, the popular idea of Christianity, because that's what I'm using that for, is that the kingdom of heaven is not just worth more than the whole world, it is also real and concrete. I'm not making a pun here, that's rock, not concrete. Um, <coughs> this popular idea of Christianity is sadly shared by liberal Christians who don't treat God's word as his word. Their belief merely offers some vague hope in something, something nice that happened long ago. And there's not really much more here than platitudes and agony aunt advice. But the real kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus rules, that has something concrete to offer, something real, the rescue from sin, a new relationship with our creator and therefore one another and eternal life. Unfortunately, because the kingdom actually exists, it also requires genuine, specific action to enter it, as Tim was alluding to. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. That action it's short, but it's not easy. Giving up all we have and doing all Jesus told us to do is actually terrifying. Placing Jesus first, making him king, is hard. Remember that Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is so true. I found it easy to leave Australia behind for Japan when I was young and owned little. But when we moved to Hong Kong 20 years after that, I clung to our house, our cars and our furniture, a whole bunch of stuff. Letting go of all we own doesn't mean literally selling it, of course, but it does mean not being possessed by it. Mm. 
If God calls us to care for another or to go on a mission like Kate did or Stephen, to release some possession that's taken ownership of us and we can't do that, then we know that these possessions are no longer merely a means to gain the kingdom of heaven like the field in the parable, but they have become an idol for us. The steps or practices required to ensure that our uh, possessions are not idols without having to go on a mission and all that sort of stuff, that's, that's too complicated for me to talk about in a sermon. But we will be doing a little bit of that sort of stuff in EHS, so come along to that. So there's a plug for that. Um, but if you uh, are not constantly reevaluating your relationship with your possessions with your work, with your hobbies, and even with your relationships, then you are in danger of neglecting the kingdom of heaven. So how then is it possible for us rich people, and we are all rich here by the standards that Jesus was talking about, how is it possible for us to let go of everything we own in order to seize the great treasure of the kingdom? Now, that's not a spurious question. In fact, the disciples asked it. And Jesus' reply was very simple. The disciples said, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. You see, God has provided a lamb, Jesus who has put to death our sins, our sinful nature. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, not only are our sins forgiven, but we receive his perfect life into us. And his spirit then enables us to make that stark choice, to let go of everything in order to gain the great treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we might argue about the order that these things happen in, depending on whether we're Reformed or Arminian or, or whatever. But it's still our choice. And it's still a choice we have to make. But we are no longer owned by our possessions. We are no longer bound by our circumstances. We are no longer slaves to our sin. We are free free to be part of the most wonderful and precious community of all, the kingdom of heaven. Now, all this might sound a bit theoretical still. So let me share a couple of stories about people that Mabel and I know. In Hong Kong, we met up... These aren't the people, by the way. (laughs) In Hong Kong, we met up with an old friend who had been a very dedicated Christian as a young adult. He moved back to Hong Kong in order to pursue a career. Very common thing. His career was increasingly successful there. And over the years, it took over more and more of his life. Until by the time we caught up with him, he had completely abandoned his faith. It was actually so... It was so sad meeting with him. 
because despite his wealth and success, he was clearly lonely and guilty and unsatisfied. Even the relationship he was in was clearly to him and to us more about money than about love. His possessions owned him and he was miserable. On the other hand, we met some new people at church there. They'd come from the Bible Belt of the USA. They were a large family, five kids from memory, and the dad had been very successful in an IT company there. The family had had the biggest house, the flashiest cars, the best of everything. But this was achieved only by the dad working almost constantly. Unfortunately, the kids suffered from the lack of a dad and the mum suffered from a lack of a husband. She was at the point where she was going to divorce her husband when they sought help and realised that they needed to take a radical step to save their marriage, their family and indeed themselves. After some discussion, they agreed to sell everything and move to Hong Kong. The dad was born there, by the way. And they lived there in a tiny flat in the poorest part of Hong Kong, which is Sham Shui Po. They used their resources to minister to the poor there. You might think that living in a crowded slum is not the best help for a marriage or family and the relationships between people. But this radical choice very much like the choices in Jesus' parables, transformed both their marriage and their family. They were all incredibly happy. So if, if you're struggling with relationships, with misery, with a lack of satisfaction in your life, perhaps, perhaps you need to look at your priorities too. Let's pray. Lord, help us to exercise our freedom in you and for our possessions and relationships and achievements to be only a means by which we serve your kingdom. If we need to make a choice, help us to have the courage to seek counsel and encouragement from your word and from our brothers and sisters in you. Help us to always remember that you rightfully have first priority in everything and to be grateful for being able to place you first. In Jesus' name, amen.